go through um, the misunderstood series. Trying to be relevant, right? <laughs> so uh, we've been talking about misunderstood verses, and uh, it's been really fun. I really enjoy um, diving really deep into the Bible like this because a lot of these verses. Um, when we look at them for face value, they mean something completely different than when you look at the text, you look at the history, you look at the culture, and then it's like, oh, it actually means this. And so Rob asked me a few weeks ago um, if there was a verse that, uh, that I wanted to share, and I said, oh yeah, totally. And uh, the one verse that, um, that I wanted to share with you guys is it talks about being hot, being cold, and being lukewarm. So I, today we're going to figure out what that means what Jesus is trying to tell us, and how we can apply that to our lives. Um, so if you guys want to grab your app, open it up. Okay, so grab the app, go to the events. Um, it's gonna, I think it's probably the longest one that we've had, <laughs> uh, just because I put a lot of resources in there. And um, we'll go over some of it today, but I definitely encourage you guys to take a look at those. Um, later today or throughout the week. Um, so when you're there, give me a thumbs up. Log in. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Cool. All right. So um, we're starting in Revelation. All right. So it's Revelation 3, 15 through 16. Um, and it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's pretty heavy, right? So this is Jesus talking to a church. Um, and the way that I've heard this preached before and talked about um, is that God would rather you be really, really hot and on fire for him or really, really cold towards him, far away from him. But man, you better not be in the middle. You better not be wishy-washy. And that always seems so weird to me. Um, I think it might be because you kind of played the game, like if you've ever hidden something from your spouse or your friend or your loved one, and they come in the room and they're like, where's my phone? You're like, well, why don't you start walking around? You're like, all right. Hotter, hotter, colder, hotter. You're right. Getting, when you're getting towards the mark, it's getting hotter. As you get farther away, it's getting colder. Um, so I always thought that was really weird that God would encourage someone that if they're wishy-washy, just to be like, hey man, just don't even believe with me in me if you're going to be like that. Um, or it's now or never, you have to follow me right now, uh, kind of thing. I always thought that was kind of weird uh, because God is a God of second chances. So, um, and then I've heard it preached once or twice um, in a different way. And that's the way that I want to talk to you about it today, um, using culture and context and the full, the full um, subject. So... Let's um, jump into it then. So, the historical background of Revelation. Um, Revelation is one of those weird books of the Bible um, for us 2,000 years later because it's a lot of um, prophecy and a lot of imagery that maybe we don't understand. The early Christian church knows a lot about prophecy and a lot about that because it's just all over the Old Testament. And for us, looking at it from 2,000 years in the future, we're like, come on, guys. Of course, that verse, you know, that was written a thousand years before you means this, because it's in the New Testament. Duh. Like, why don't you see that happening? Um, and now we're like, you know, 
Tables were turned and we were like, ah, yeah, I just want to get a reading revelation. That one's pretty heavy, pretty weird. Um, so to break it down for you a little bit, um, Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia. So these are real churches um, in, in an area around Turkey, and I have a map of that that I'll show you in a little bit. Um, and then it was written to encourage these, to encourage and challenge these seven churches. Um, each one was dealing with a certain challenge that Jesus said, hey, straighten out, do this. Um, and he encouraged most of them, not the one that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Um, and it was to encourage um, believers that God wins in the end, but it might get a little worse before it gets better. Um, it was written right around the time when the Roman um, government started persecuting Christians. It wasn't just the Jews anymore. It was the Roman might and the military force um, running after Christians, killing them, imprisoning them, and stuff like that. And so it was starting, so we're at the very beginning of a, the next 200 years of persecution. And God wants to just tell these people, look, it's worth it, it sucks, but for those of you who make it through, um, you're going to be rewarded. So, um, so um, our verse, our lukewarm verse comes from chapter 3, the very end of um, chapter 3 of Revelation, when he's talking to um, the Laodiceans. I kept calling them the land of Calrissians as a placeholder in my head. Um, so we'll see if I do that a few times today. Um, but the first chapter is John. Um, he is out on an island. Um, some say that he's been persecuted so much that he kind of ran away to an island for a bit to kind of clear his head. Um, and he gets a vision from Jesus. He shows up and he says, hey, grab a pen, grab some paper. You're going to you're gonna see some weird stuff. So write it down. Um, and so... So John's like, all right, Jesus, let's do it. So then in the next two chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3, is Jesus speaking to these different churches, um, challenging them and encouraging them. And so um, the last church that he talks to is the Laodiceans. And um, this is where we get our lukewarm verses from. But first, let's talk about the area and the church and what that city area was kind of um, the first thing you should know is that these people were, like, filthy, filthy rich. They had tons and tons of money um, from three main businesses that they had. Um, one, they had a beautiful black wool that they made into a garment um, that was sought after throughout the Roman Empire. And people would travel and order from them at exorbitant amount of costs. Like, they would, you know, it's the one place in the world that you can get it so they can charge whatever they want for it. And Romans are rich people, so they would pay for it. They're all about status. So um, another thing that they had, they had a very famous medical school. This medical school was known for an eye salve, like a little paste that you would rub in your eye. Um, if you have an eye disease, then you would cure it. So it was like a medical breakthrough. And so people from all over the region would travel hundreds and hundreds of kilometers just to come to rub that stuff in their eye to get cured. So they had a textile industry, they had a medical industry, and then when you have all of that money, you gotta put it somewhere, right? They had a massive banking system, and people would come from all over the place to get loans, even like famous Romans would come there to get loans. Um, and, you know, it's right on the edge of Asia, so people would come in and change over money there and stuff like that. They would charge them big bucks. So, they had a really big problem though. Um, 
They had you know, immense, immense wealth, but what they didn't have was a fresh water supply. Um, they actually built their city on a crossroads um, coming from Asia into the rest of the Roman Empire. And they're like, you know what? If we built a town here and just sold people stuff as they come in on their long travels, we'll probably make it a ton of um, So they, bam, right there, but they didn't have a fresh water supply. So they had to pipe it in. And if you guys have heard of aqueducts and the Romans using pipes and stuff like that, um, this wasn't their best work. They, uh, they had to pipe it in from over 10K away. And by the time the water got there, um, it was really tepid, um, it was warm. And as you know, in lukewarm water, I was asking a few of the girls this morning, what do you find in lukewarm water? What do you find in a puddle or in a stream that's too low? You usually find bugs, algae, find disease. So these people were super, super rich, but they couldn't even have fresh drinking water. All right. Um, but they had neighbors to the north, and um, the neighbors in the north had these beautiful hot springs that they lived in. If you've ever been to a hot springs, they're fantastic. Maybe you think of this. What do you think of a hot spring? Beautiful, brown kind of nice. You get to soak in it. We have hot tubs for that because we can't always go find a hot spring. Um, or maybe you think of this. Like a natural hot springs. It's kind of like really beautiful. They're all over the place in Europe. Um, and these are not What I think of is this. So this is a guy, I have no idea who he is. I found it on the internet. Um, but it was taken uh, just outside of my hometown um, in, in Alaska at a place called China Hot Springs. Um, Rob's been there many times. I've been And uh, this was probably taken when it was negative, negative 40 or negative 50 degrees. Uh, we'll go out, drive out there, hop in a hot pool, and you just kind of hold your hair up out of the water for a minute or two, and it goes and it's kind of stays there. Um, so, which is, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. You get, you get pretty, pretty good. And then to the south, um, there was a town that was known for their beautiful, refreshing springs. Nice and cold springs that, um, you know, if you've ever been out on a hot day, just like, like yesterday when we were hiking, we were like, man, uh, I had a water bottle with me that had a filter on it, and we were hiking on the so we get some, and it was like really decent water, like some of the best water. Um, green. So that makes me think of this. I stole this picture off the internet. That wasn't obvious. Um, but this is just outside of a place called um, the Portage Glacier, which Rob's been to a few times. Um, and uh, my family brought Marie here a couple years ago. And uh, this is old glacier way over there. Well, snowpack, and as it melts, you know, it creates a beautiful stream. Like, we're less than a K away from where all that just melted. And uh, we stopped and had a drink of water, and it was pretty good, right? It's like some of the best stuff you've ever had. Great. So now that we have a little more context, um, actually, yeah, go to the map. There we go. So this is where we're talking about. Thank you. 
have a little context to kind of understand um, who these people were and what they were known for. Let's go ahead and read just the full section. Um, this is Jesus talking to the angel of the church in Laodicea, writes, These are the words of the Amen, faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, standing at the door, and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with, with that person. <laughs> to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. But now that we have context and understanding, this just means something different. Um, Jesus is using what they would know in everyday life to kind of call them out on what they're doing. You know, they're a very wealthy church, so he says, hey, your gold doesn't mean anything. Give it to me, I'll give you your treasures in heaven. He said, hey, you know, your robes are pretty cool, but they don't cover your sinful nakedness. Buy from me these white clothes. Because look, you guys might have a really good medical and you might be able to make people sleep, but not the way that I can. You guys need to so, um, what was happening was, the church there was very secure, very comfortable. Um, there was an, an earthquake in 60 AD, which um, is believed to have been shortly before this, this was written to them. Um, most of the town was destroyed. And Rome, Roman city, was like, hey, we got money, we got people, we'll send it all to you, you can build you up. And they're like, no, 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 we're okay. We have enough money, we'll do it out of our own pocket. Uh, so these people were so wealthy that they were able to rebuild the city and still have enough in their pockets to be comfortable. Um, you have a people that has become kind of stagnant um, in, their, in their walk. Right, so um, as we looked at before, hot and cold, Jesus says, I'd rather you be either hot or cold. Um, but not lukewarm. And so we looked at some examples of bathing in hot water, but I bet you could think of a lot more things that you could do with hot water. Making tea, <laughs> uh, making coffee, which I do on a daily basis. Um, you, you know, have a really nice hot shower after a long day. If you're sore, you, may have, you might have a nice bath. Um, and so there's a ton of things that you can do um, with hot water. With cold water, especially coming up in the next you know, month where it's just going to be crazy hot outside. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you want to jump in or you want to drink. You want to make lemonade out of, right? Um, and so it's, it seems like Jesus is saying he wants us to be useful. Uh, because you don't do much with lukewarm water. You might water plants with it or that's about it. Um, lukewarm water is really easy to 
stagnant. Um, if you have lukewarm water sitting out just on your countertop for a day or two, you quickly start to smell something in it, right? Um, and so Jesus is saying, hey, you guys have stopped being useful. You stopped pursuing me. Um, and so I think, that's, I think that's what he's trying to, trying to talk to us about. So uh, recently, uh, myself and Tim, uh, we've been going through a book together. Shout out to Tim and White Silk. They're big. Check it out. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So we've been going through a book called Crazy Love. Um, it's by an American pastor named Francis Chan. You guys may have heard of him before. It's okay if you haven't. He's just a dude. Um, and he, uh, in, in this book, it's, it's really a challenge against the status quo of weekly churchgoers who may be struggling with lukewarmness. Uh, in a sermon, I heard him describe what it is like to become lukewarm. He said, imagine you're swimming upriver. The current's really strong, but you're able to overcome it enough that you can be on the side, you know, trees going by and whatever. I'm making it, right? And then you just stop swimming. Now what's going to happen? The water's just going to keep pushing you back. You're not actively swimming, but the water's pushing you back. Um, or maybe you're at the mall and you see a kid, or in my case, myself, running out the opposite way on an escalator. <laughs> and so they're running, right? And then they get tired or they get embarrassed. <laughs> or they just get bored and they stop. And they kind of just go back down to the bottom. Um, so too is it with the relationship with God. Um, if, you are, if you stop where you're at, you start getting pushed back by the sin and the temptation of the world. You're not pursuing God anymore. Um, right. All right, so what does it look like to be lukewarm? Francis Chan, um, he gave us a few examples, and um, this is the part that's in the notes where we're going to start following along there. I'm only going to read the summary, um, the part where it says, lukewarm, um, and then underneath it, it has a few examples uh, in the Bible. So I'm not going to read the Bible parts, because I encourage you to test that um, against those, those summaries, uh, maybe later today or uh, later this week. All right. Lukewarm people are moved by stories. I need my hat because I totally jumbled them around. So do you. comparing themselves to others to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are no more as horrible as the guy down the street. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, or do, uh, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. <laughs> All right. 
Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary um, to keep themselves from feeling too good. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. They ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin? Instead of, how can I keep myself pure as a temple of the Holy Spirit? They ask, how much do I, get, do I have to give? Instead of, how much can I give? They ask, how much time should I spend reading, uh, praying and reading the Bible? Instead of, I wish I didn't have to go to work so I could sit here and read longer. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. Um, this focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides that, they really aren't very different from your typical unbeliever. They equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. Lukewarm people are moved uh, about people are, are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. The actions is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all of us. Hot or cold. Um, if we look at the meaning of hot and cold that we looked at um, earlier, um, it just looks like it looks like Jesus wants us to do something. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to pastor a church. It doesn't mean that you have to be a missionary and leave everything behind. Um, this means you just take more steps towards Jesus. It means um, that if you stop, that if you stop, you just, you're going to become a stagger. You always have to just keep moving. Um, Matthew 22, 37 says, Love your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all of your mind. Um, another, we, we're going to put that verse into a word. So every time you hear this word, I want you to think, Love your God with all your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. That word's going to be obsessed. Um, the definition of obsessed is to have the mind excessively preoccupied with a single emotion or topic. Now, we know a few people who are obsessed with things. Um, and we're like, wow, okay. Uh, well, let's be crazy for Jesus, but let's also put some feet and hands to it. Let's actually go do the things um, that Jesus asked us to do. Let's do the things that he calls us to do. Um, so we're going to do a little follow-along again. And uh, we're going to read through these next 13 um, things, descriptions of what loving and being obsessed with Jesus and giving him your all could look like in your life. Um, as we go through, you'll probably find some that you're already doing. And you're like, oh yeah, that's super cool. Um, but as we're going through, you might also find some that are like, ooh, that kind of, that kind of hits me a little bit. Maybe I need to work on that. Um, so we're just going to read through that together. The first one is... Love. People who are, obsessed, who are obsessed with Jesus give freely and openly, without censor. Obsessed people love those who hate them and who can never love them back. Risk takers, people who are obsessed with Jesus are their personal safety and comfort above all else. Um, obsessed people are more care more about God's kingdom coming to this earth than their own lives being shielded from pain or distress. Friends of all, people who are obsessed with Jesus 
live lives that connect them with the poor in some way or another. Obsessed people believe that Jesus talked about money and the poor so often because it was really important to him. Crazy. Obsessed people are more concerned with obeying God than doing what is expected or fulfilling the status quo. A person who is obsessed with Jesus will do things that don't always make sense in the terms of success or wealth on this earth. As Martin Luther put it, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. The humble, a person who is obsessed with Jesus, knows that the sin of pride is always a battle. Obsessed people know that you can never be humble enough, and so they seek to make themselves less known and Christ more known. Servers, people who are obsessed with Jesus do not consider service a burden. Obsessed people take joy in loving God by loving his people. Givers, people who are obsessed with God are known as givers, not takers. Obsessed people genuinely think that others matter as much as they do. And they are particularly aware of those who are poor around the world. Sojourners, a person who is obsessed thinks about heaven frequently. Obsessed people orient their lives around eternity. They are not fixed only on what is here in front of them engrossed. A person who is obsessed is characterized um, by committed, settled, passionate love for God, above and before every other thing and every other thing. Unguarded. People who are obsessed are raw with God. They do not attempt to mask the ugliness of their sins or their failures. Obsessed people don't put it on God. Don't put it on for God. He is their safe place where they can be at peace. Rooted. People who are obsessed with God have an intimate relationship with Him. They are nourished by God's Word throughout the day because they know that 40 minutes on a Sunday is not enough to sustain them for a whole week, especially when they will encounter so many distractions and alternative messages. Dedicated. A person who is obsessed with Jesus is more concerned with his or her character than comfort. Obsessed people know that true joy doesn't depend on circumstances or on environment. It's a gift that must be chosen and cultivated, a gift that ultimately comes from God. And the last one, sacrifice. A person who is obsessed with Jesus knows that the best thing you can do is be faithful to his Savior in every aspect of his life, continually saying thank you to God. An obsessed person knows there can never be intimacy if he is always trying to pay God back or work hard enough to be worthy. He revels in his role as a child and friend of God. I want you to take a look back on this list and choose three that really stuck out to you that were like, wow, those are things that I wish I had in my life. And then write it down in your notes or on your journal, in your book, on your hand, on your foot. Like write it somewhere where you will look at it later today and you will look at it later. And then start to take steps towards that. Um, yeah, God calls us to be useful. Um, he wants us to actively He wants us to love on the people that he puts around us. Um, I think that's all I have to say about that. So I'll pray. God, thank you so much um, for who you are. Um, just the opportunity um, to share the things in um, my life and in Tim's life. God, um, I pray that that for those of us here um, who are 
struggling um, with, with what to be, um, um, we find the spark, we find the love, and uh, we just start, we just start taking um, God, thank you for this community of believers that we can come around each other and love each other no matter where we are. God, I pray that each of us um, can find a way to be caught or close for you. And God, I pray that we can be a for you. Help us have a phenomenal week. We can be here for you and enjoy your presence.